And uh, if you'd both like to introduce yourselves uh, and then we can get started. Take it away, Devil. Uh, yeah, okay. So um, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of what name to give. Because um, I go by a bunch of different stuff um, and like pseudonyms. Um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm Devil. Um, I or that's what you know I'll go by for this. Um, the uh, sort of I'm a sort of writer uh, and a poet uh, and like uh, and sort of uh, activist uh, with uh, Palestine Action. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 me summed up shortly. Um, hello, uh, my name's Kieran. Uh, I'm an activist and organizer of Palestine Action, and my PhD is on Palestine Action's direct action campaign. And as it relates to international solidarity with Palestine, um, it's probably the most interesting, relevant thing about me for the moment. Awesome! Uh, thank you both so much, and and I'm I'm very interested in that specifically, kind of framing the conversation around how these actions have kind of revived in a lot of what I was seeing of the discourse around them, a view of of specifically anti-imperialist action as direct. Uh, rather than kind of, as we've discussed before, uh, Kieran, on, on kind of the NGOization of Palestinian activism. So maybe that's where we can kind of begin and talk a little bit about why Elbit was targeted as a, you know, a company that is upholding Israeli apartheid as well as British imperialism, um, and how the campaign was seeking to kind of target the, not only this company, but also make a kind of interjection into activism as a whole and say, you know, take a direct approach rather than this kind of more uh, loose and, and incoherent strategy that has been taken um, in other fields of activism. So kind of a broad topic, but yeah, I'm very interested to begin with that. Do you want to start, Daryl? Uh, no, no, you go ahead. Yeah, sure. No, so it's, um, so, I guess it's probably best to start off with a broader framework of obviously Palestine and BDS movement. Um, so the BDS movement essentially comes out of a response of the failures of not only the quote unquote Oslo peace process in the 1990s and the attempt to create a two state solution in Palestine um, and the failure of international institutions in the UN to actually do anything about ongoing apartheid ongoing colonization, um, the fact that the BDS call is declared in or called for in 2005 by Palestinian civil society is specifically due to the one year anniversary of the International Court of Justice uh, ruling that the annexation wall, quote unquote, or apartheid wall, um, in other names, uh, was illegal under international law. Um, but also interestingly, the failure of international solidarity movements essentially with the ongoing Palestinian struggle, especially into the kind of 1990s and 2000s. Um, I guess in a more global context, this is obviously we see um, the massive expansion of neoliberalism over the kind of imperialist counter reaction to emerging third world struggles, um, the expansion of neo-colonialism, etc. 
Um, and also a point to, I'm actually reading a book uh, at the moment, Pluto Press series called Race to the Bottom, Reclaiming Anti-Racism. It's actually quite relevant to this discussion as well about what they term the top-down anti-racism or anti-racism from above, which is essentially where specifically in the US and uh, Britain, specifically that the state essentially in order to co-opt the massive forms of black power, anti-racist and feminist social movements and uprisings and rebellions that were happening in the late 70s and early 80s, that they basically constructed um, ways of um, pitting anti-racist forces against each other, communities against each other, and basically diluting the radical aims. Um, and also disciplining the internationalist elements here, some of them obviously involved in, in terms of Palestine. So what you start to see in the 90s and into the 2000s is a shift away from the more third world solidarities that we saw for the 60s and 70s, the PLO with the Black Panthers, the American Indian movement, um, national liberation projects across Africa and Southeast Asia and what have you. Um, essentially for a more, as you discussed, Joseph, NGOIs, charity-backed international institutions kind of, and their kind of way to intervene and penetrate Palestinian society in the form of, and the forms of resistance they, that they were kind of developing as well, especially throughout the 80s and into the first Intifada, a massive popular uprising of the Palestinian people against um, Israeli occupation, but also Israeli colonization of Palestine writ large. So what you start seeing throughout this period is essentially um, the largely white solidarity activists from Europe and America heading to Palestine, doing solidarity work, doing direct actions, protests against the building um, of more settlements and things, the, eventually the expansion of the annexation wall, um, protesting against the curfews and things like that, um, destruction of farms, homes. And, um, but essentially what it was doing was that it was actually stripping uh, the Palestinian national movement of its own political content. And um, as a movement for self-determination, not only for two state, but across the whole of Palestine, right? Because they were necessarily, many of them were funded by international charities. You know, some of them kind of decentralized, not, we're not necessarily talking about amnesty and stuff, but funded by international charities. The way in which people go over there is at particular times, so say like the summer and things. So there's, there's examples of Palestinian activists. Um, there's one I can remember from a book called popular protest in Palestine where activist, Palestinian activist from Bethlehem says, well, these, you know, these Israeli and Western activists, they can do good things, but they come here for a while, they want to fight the settlers and then they leave and we're left with the consequences. So it's not only a kind of international political framing of say, uh, human rights of state development of peace processes and things like that, which is kind of diluting the political radicalism of the Palestinian national movement and the forms of radical visions of decolonization and kind of popular democracy that we saw throughout the 70s, 80s and into the first intifada. Um, that the BDS movement then comes about in 2005, which is essentially a call from international civil society to boycott, divest and sanction Israel, um, which has been building massive amounts of support internationally, um, divest, get it, forcing institutions and companies to divest from their role that they play in Israeli apartheid in terms of the occupation, the expansion of illegal settlements. Um, but I guess to get onto the focus of Elbert and Palestine action is that ironically, 
as a, the BDS movement being formed as a response from Palestinian civil society and pal the Palestinian mass movement, both in Palestine and also in the diaspora, is that there are elements of the BDS movement which at a deep, at a kind of instant, um, institutional level, we might say, um, which is falling prey to some of the problems of the NGO, NGO complex, moving away from grassroots mass, move, mass movements and some of the radicalism um, which Palestinians are kind of, you know, are asking for with something like boycotts, divestment, sanctions. Um, I'll, I'll let uh, David speak on stuff about Elbit, but just to finish off, the reason for something like Palestine Action, as you kind of alluded to, Joseph, was essentially that um, people had, you know, especially we're talking about activists in Britain who had been part of the BDS movement from the beginning, if not part of Palestine Solidarity previously to that. They'd been involved in solidarity demos, they'd been involved in um, boycotts, but so many had been involved in the Stop Puma campaign, which is ongoing, the Stop G4S campaign, which is kind of, there was some victory, G4S, I think 2016 or something, pulled out of the Israeli prison system, but they're still involved in training the Israeli police force and things like that. There were some victories in terms of many activists um, forcing HSBC to divest from Elbit systems, I think this was in 2018, 2019. So there has been some victories here. It's not that we should um, get rid of that. You know the, the developing of pressure on boycotts and divestments is the kind of broader framework on which we're situated in. For many people, were becoming disillusioned with, let's say, some of the leadership within the kind of Palestine solidarity movement within Britain, and so it was decided that what was needed was actually, especially alongside in, you know, an increasingly far right conservative government, um, ongoing diplomatic, political, military support for Israel, but also put, you know, deepening ties between them. The ongoing attempts to repress and ban BDS. I mean, I think there's already been policies passed that say that local councils are not allowed to boycott um, from certain countries, and that's specifically to do with Israel. Um, so I guess alongside those ongoing political advancements and, and attempts to repress BDS, um, there is also this kind of, um, yeah, as I said, disillusionment with kind of where BDS movement is going in Britain. And that kind of led to people basically coming together. And there'd been direct actions before, which we can talk about maybe as well, um, against Elbit Systems previously in Britain and other arms companies that had basically been arming Israel. Um, but Palestine Action was formed essentially as a response of disillusionment of the more radical elements of the Palestinian solidarity movement in Britain to form a direct action network, which would not lobby, attempt to lobby the government or political parties. It would no longer attempt to focus on um, signing letters and pressuring MPs, but it would merely take the fight of BDS. Um, and what activists, some activists like uh, Huda Amori, the co-founder, have started to call sanctions through direct action um, to uh, the heart of Israel's arms production in Britain. Um, which I don't know whether you want to now jump on, David, with that in terms of Elbit systems. Yeah, so um, just one thing. I think the specific law, Kieran, is that local councils aren't allowed to divest from pension funds that are funded, I think, by, like, settler organisations in Israel. Well, it, it's, it's vaguely worded to be, like, if you have a moral sort of or an ethical sort of problem with 
a pension fund or something like that, you can't divest from it regardless, yeah. um, which then sort of opens up for a lot of other, that's the thing as well, is, is it's, it's mainly to sort of uh, stop BDS, but then it opens up for sort of really unethical funding of a lot of sort of public services and sort of pension funds um, by sort of anything really because it doesn't just say, oh, if it's like an arms company or, or private security company in Israel, it just says, if it's an ethic, if you have an ethic, if you have a problem with it on, on the level of ethics, you know, tough shit, um, we don't care. And it, it, it's, so, and it, it's, yeah. Um, and it really sort of hamstrings a lot of sort of public sector employees in that regard. Um, in terms of Elbit, so just to sort of a bit of background. So Elbit, is Israel's largest sort of uh, private arms company. Um, they're sort of the main um, sort of arms producers in Britain. Um, they also do a lot of stuff sort of domestically in Israel, um, especially since their sort of acquisition of IMI uh, systems in uh, 2019. And sort of like a lot of companies anyway, but especially sort of companies invested in imperialism um it, it's something it, that is it's it, a company that is trying to become sort of essentially uh the monopoly on the arms trade in israel um and there was even sort of a quote where after they sort of acquired I, imi where they said we're trying to be the one-stop shop for arms in israel so they're sort of funding so they're supplying arms and sort of uh, bullets and everything to the uh, sort of, uh, you know, it, it, it's called the IDF, but we call it the IOF because it's the occupying force. Um, so the IOF gets um, a lot of its stuff, like um, uh, I tried to say sort of, yeah, it's arms and sort of its ammunition uh, from the domestic uh, holdings of Elbit. Um, and then a lot of stuff in the UK um, is really to do with drones. Um, so a lot of like drone parts um, are made in the UK. Um, I believe we had an occupation sort of thinking just over a year ago where activists were um, sort of broke the sort of glass on the roof and can see inside and can see um, of a factory and can see the sort of outer shell of what would be a sort of drone. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, so so we, we do have proof that there, there's often a sort of repeated claim that Elbit's like, oh, well, we don't make stuff that's used in killing civilians here, um, but we have proof, um, you know, that, that, that they do, um, because we can, I believe we compared it to actual drone models and we can say, right, that's the out of shell of um, this one. Um, and you can find on our site sort of the different um, drones that are made um, or the drone parts that are made in the UK. Um, yeah and so uh sort of yeah and, and and in terms of our campaign like kieran said we're not the first direct action um campaign to target sort of armed companies or even elbit um there was actually a really uh famous one in uh 2006 um which was called the raytheon 9 um which was um a sort of a group of sort of anti-war activists um, who were in Derry. Um, so it was like, for example, um, so one of the, the, the most famous person who was there was Eamon McCann, who's a really famous um, uh, sort of socialist writer and activist in, in the north of Ireland in the six counties. Um, so they caused a lot of damage there. 
Um, and so that's the sort of thing that we're sort of following in the legacy on uh, sort of direct action, uh, because that was um, Raytheon was supplying missiles, missiles for um, Israel's invasion of Lebanon. Uh, so they were intervening um, to stop that because the missiles were being made at that factory in Derry. And so, yeah, so it, we follow in sort of a long tradition of that. Um, our campaign started in 2020. Um, we're actually coming up for our two year um, anniversary um, at the end of the month. Um, yeah, and uh, we've sort of been sort of con trying to consistently uh, interrupt uh, the process of production at Israel's, oh, sorry, at Elbit's um, arms factories across the UK. Um, we've shut down, I think, is it two sites now? Um, was it originally 10 that were there? Um, so there originally was 10 sites in the UK. Uh, we've shut down two, which is their Manchester, Elbit, um, is it Ferrari? I forget. Uh, uh, Ferranti Technologies. Ferranti, Ferranti, oh, Ferrari. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Ferranti, um, yeah, Ferranti Technologies, their Manchester site in Oldham. Um, and uh, we also shut down their London HQ, which was at 77 Kingsway. Um, and that's something, I mean, both of those Elbit denies, um, that we had any part in um but the manchester site was sold at a loss um uh, compared to its original sort of uh, buying price um and then we confirmed through an independent uh, journalist source um that one that elbit weren't there anymore um yeah and uh, i believe it might have been sort of said in an offhand comment that you know because of sort of repeated sort of direct action that we've done at their hq um uh that yeah they, they sort of yeah they, they'd left um and uh but then but elder will deny them of course um but it's uh yeah um but then why would they say that uh yeah in it, it's uh let me just have a look uh so yeah we sort of do a variety of different actions um such as occupations of the factories which often means getting on the roof um, sort of uh, causing damage to the site itself. Um, uh, it, it, so the reason for that is because if we get on the roof, then the building has to be evacuated um, just because that's sort of health and safety policy. Um, what uh, The building is then damaged because obviously the police will be called, will be, you know, ac actionists will be taken off the roof. Um, uh, but we want to make sure that, that that's not the end of it, that it can't be used until it's been uh, repaired. And it's trying to interrupt the production of arms um, for as long as possible, um, you know, and trying to, to protest that. Um, we also sort of will blockade um, sort of factory sites, um, HQ sites. Uh, we, you know, uh, and I'm jumping. Are those, those are the two main we do, I think, Kieran. Is there anything else in particular? And that I'm missing out in terms of the types of actions that we do. Um, so, yeah, so, there, so there's the main occupation of sites, mm -hmm. um, which is obviously two varieties. One is the main occupation, which is on, which is on the roof. Another mm -hmm. one will be yeah, the front blockades, which are usually mm -hmm. lock-ons. That's even lock-ons to the gates mm -hmm. or um, using vehicles to block the way and then locking round like the vehicles so they can't move mm -hmm. it, things like that. Yeah, they're the main ones. But then there has also been... Um, there's more kind of what you say, like quick fire ones too. Um, so, for example, 
it was a particular property manager, um, I forget their name now, um, that essentially held the, that owned the property in which like the offices of Elbit's HQ in London were in 77 Kings Way. Um, and so there were also kind of um, anonymous actions where people would go and target their own personal offices, either smash the windows or cover them in red paint and things like that as well. So there's a kind of mix between the kind of main occupations actions where people, where activists would almost inevitably get arrested and then the anon more anonymous kind of hit and run tactics of hitting particular kind of sites which are forcing them to divest from or kick Elbit out as well. Yeah, they're the main kind of actions which are focused on. Um, Well, thank you so much for that information. I'm curious a little bit about uh, reading on the site about the goals of the campaign and, and noting that uh, Elbit is an Israeli-based company, but it seems there is a note that they also sell 80% of their production outside of Israel as well. So it, this is the kind of company that would be supplying weapons to more or less any kind of uh, international imperialist uh, army or, or military throughout the world, but also specifically against the Palestinians as well. So it, it's it's fascinating to me because it takes on another nature of the campaign of being also a, an international one against a, a very typically imperialist arms company. Um, and with that, I'm, I'm curious about the extent to which in, uh, in Britain, the Palestine Action has been able to organize these campaigns against factories. Have there been other international instances of taking action against Elbit factories where they are in the rest of the world, in Europe, or in uh, in occupied Palestine as well? Um, yeah, so I believe that, um, so the two things that come up um, for, so, so in terms of Elbit, there's been some stuff in, uh, in Germany, um, I believe there has been, I think there's been a Palestine action, uh, uh, Deutschland um, has been set up, uh, then sort of in a sort of similar vein, uh, there's also been a Palestine action Scotland, so the lot of locations, I say the UK, to be fair, a lot of the locations I'm talking about are in England, and then you have Palestine action Scotland, who is targeting, um, I think it's pronounced Thales, um, the, yeah, um, so they're um, sort of linked to Elbit, um, and uh, I can't remember if they're a subsidiary or if they're sort of uh, in a partnership with Elbit, um, but they have links again to sort of um, the arms trade uh, and Palestine. So they've been targeted and they've had uh, two occupations um, so far uh, where they've shut down the factory. Um, in terms of sort of, yeah, international stuff, it, it's a thing of uh, it, at the moment it, it, it's yeah it's 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 a process that's just sort of it's going to continue to build um at the moment because we know for a fact that we've you know and that the palestinians are aware of us um you know obviously there's palestinians in sort of the uk diaspora who who know about us um you know we who who, who, who you know uh, uh but yeah palestinians over sort of in gaza and everything are aware of us um i believe there are groups maybe even in america who have like referenced you know us and everything um 
Yeah, and it's it's a thing where now the name is sort of popping up more and more. Um, and it's and and in terms of sort of international stuff, I think what we will see obviously um, is that it's not necessarily going to be just against Elbit. It is going to be that style of direct action is um, going to become more common to protest a lot of different causes. Um, and yeah, you're you're, uh, but that's a fit. That's a thing that you can sort of link to sort of, I don't want to be like, oh, Palestine action sort of basically inspired everyone to do that. But I think it definitely put that type of direct action um, sort of back into the public consciousness again. We weren't the first ones to do it, but we put it back into the public consciousness. Uh, and that has then, you know, sort of made people to go, okay, they go and sort of educate themselves about it. They see what can be done. And then they start doing it as well. And so, yeah, in terms of, I think I just want to sort of sort of reference a cause here that you talked about, because obviously, like you said, that the Elbit does a lot of its arms um, sort of sales outside of Israel. Uh, one of those is Kashmir, um, or it sells its a lot of weapons uh, and sort of uh, drones to uh, India. Uh, and India, for, you know, any listeners who, who aren't aware, is, you know, occupying Kashmir. Um, so sort of, yeah, I believe, was it in... I'm not sure, I think it was like 2018, 2019, sort of around then, um, it changed its status to deprive it of its autonomy in order to particularly target and oppress um, its, its uh, Muslim uh, population, Kashmiri Muslim population. Um, and it's stuff like, you know, the, 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 the weapons that Elbit sells that make that possible and allow it to have such total control. Um, you know, it's, I, we, we do try and talk about that when we can is that, you know, obviously we're Palestine action, but we understand that these causes are all sort of intricately linked. And a lot of what sort of me and Kieran say um, in particular is that Palestine um, is the laboratory for, or the laboratory for um, sort of a lot of other oppressive situations in the world. Um, and it's a lot of stuff gets tested there and tried there. Elbit itself, Elbit itself says it has battle-tested weapons. And what they mean is it's is, is just Palestinian people. Um, which, it, it, you know, it, it's like, it, it's this sort of really slimy sort of wink at the camera. Is it saying, oh, we're battle-tested, if you know what we mean? And it's really, really scummy. But it, it's, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is, is it, you know, we do try and link that in that, you know, there's stuff being tested on Palestinians and used on Palestinians, and then that's being used then, um, uh, you know, as effectively as it can be on people like, you know, uh, Kashmiri Muslims or people in Kashmir, um, you know, and, and that's the thing is that because it's sort of, it, it, it's such a tightly wound knot of a bunch of different types of sort of suppressed, you know, um, settler colonial, um, you know, imperialist um, forces and and situations is that by trying to interrupt it, we, we do our part to help unravel that, which will then, you know, have effects on all these other situations, um, you know, and the, it, it's, yeah. Uh, and that's something we, I, I would definitely encourage, you know, is people to really see the links there and to understand that by sort of advocating for Palestinians, you do make it a lot harder for imperialists and colonialists to um, oppress, you know, other peoples around the world, because it, because that's the thing is because Israel can, has such impunity, 
compared to other nations because of its support by the US and the UK and a lot of other European countries. It does make it sort of a prime ground for testing stuff and testing oppression me oppressive measures, um, testing, you know, um, strategies and technologies of control and power, um, and then just exporting that all over the world. Yeah, thanks so much. That's a very good point to kind of make those connections and see how it is taking on an international dimension when you make the connections there. I'm curious also for me thinking about taking action against a kind of multinational company like this, you can expect a severe repression in response. And I'm from what I've read of the campaigns, there was that reaction by the British state in support of this multinational uh, with the arrests made of different activists involved. So how have you kind of encountered that, that reaction from uh, the state to a very, very direct uh, challenge confronting a multinational company that owns factories in, in the UK and, uh, you know, seeing how activists are, are going to suffer consequences for taking a direct kind of foray into, into action that will have consequences and, and repercussions for the liberation struggle? Um, so I think in terms of what we've seen, um, it, it, I mean, there's uh, sort of, I, th I think there's a real sense of, um, it, 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 I don't know, it's, it's a thing of, in a sense, there's a real sense of frustration on the part of Elbit and British state, um, because a lot of the laws that are in, in place at the moment, um, in terms of stuff like, uh, like what are very often accused of criminal damage, um, but a lot of the laws in regards to that do sort of say that if you are protesting something and you know that sort of something unethical is happening on a property, um, we do actually have a right to go in and stop it and damage the property in order to achieve that. And that's why a lot of our activists have um, either nothing's gone to trial. Um, and there's another reason for that that I'll get to in a second. Um, or they've been found not guilty. Um, and I believe we've only really had one activist found guilty of, of damage and they were given the lowest possible sentence. Um, and I believe the reasons stated by the judge were that as far as you knew, um, you were attempting to protest something horribly unethical. Um, and so they were given the lowest possible sentence. And that's that's one person out of a range of different occupations. Um, the other response that we've so yet yeah, so sorry, what I was getting to was there's a real sense of frustration because uh, they clearly want us to go to prison, um, but we're not. Um, so what they try and do now, and we saw this with the arrest and the sending of some activists um, to prison, um, is that the uh, uh, Crown Prosecution Service is trying to keep us sort of locked up as long as possible. Um, so they will do that by trying to ensure that activists are denied bail, um, which then means that we have to appeal that. Um, trying to push for, you know, as many activists as possible not to get bail or to have bail certain conditions um, and then trying to sort of push stuff, you know, to get to trial. So hopefully we can sort of um, 
you know, be, be locked up and sent, sent to prison. And that was the case with um, some of our activists. A very recent action is that their bail was denied initially. Um, and so they were kept in sort of local or the nearest prisons um, for, I think, almost a month. Um, and then I believe, Kieran might know a bit more. Um, I believe we did appeal that and they, they're now free. Um, we did appeal that and we, they were given bail. Um, yeah, he's nodding. So yeah, I'm going to say, yeah. Um, the other thing has been that there's currently a law being pushed through. Um, I'm not too certain at what stage it is. Um, just for any listeners who aren't aware, there's, um, I mean, with any legislation or any legislature, um, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but um, there, there's like a bunch of different stages to sort of uh, drafting and amending a law. And the House of Commons has uh, a bunch of them. Um, so House of Commons is sort of, you know, it's where our parliament and our, our legislation is, is, is voted on. Um, so there's a bunch of different stages. I'm not too sure where it's at, at the moment, um, but I do believe it's sort of in, it's getting to the later stages. Um, and that's essentially pushing for the type of thing that we would do, um, which is using direct action to occupy and sort of, um, you know, through um, uh, damaging and just, you know, destroying parts of a factory, you know, prevent it being used for arms sales because that also, um, LB also has links to the Ministry of Defence um, over in the UK. Um, they're trying to push for that to be counted as um, essentially sort of without saying it, sort of it, it leaning towards sort of treasonous acts and, and, uh, I believe the sentence that they're trying to make it so is, is 25 years. So I can't remember the specific term that they're using for it, but I do know that they're trying to push for it so that if you damage uh, essentially a contractor with the Ministry of Defence, it's essentially treated almost as an attack on the Ministry of Defence itself. Yes, um, sabotage. Yeah, sabotage. So essentially where it, 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 it's being framed as us, essentially sabotaging the British armed forces in a sense, or the British military, uh, you know, Her Majesty's Ministry of, of Defence. Um, and the sentence for that would be 25 years, um, which is, you know, harsher. So, you know, like, I mean, it obviously, um, it, you know, abolish prisons and everything, but like just in, in relative terms, um, you know, that's, that's, there are violent crimes that get lesser sentences than that um, to sort of, trying to highlight the political motivation behind that um you know uh yeah just i'd say i i just yeah want to make clear that sort of i'm making that comparison um but I, you know i'm not trying to imply that oh we're not like you know those scumbag criminals or anything like that um it, it, it but it, it's sort of the epitome of a carceral state where it can then be used um, to criminalise sort of political opponents and and protesters and everything like that, um, and and that's another thing. That's another link there. So you know we talk about international links, but sort of domestically, we should also be fighting, you know, for prison abolition, for prisoner support, because the stuff used on them and criminalised peoples is also going to be used on us. Um, and there's no point trying to make distinctions because the British state won't. Well, I guess just to quickly intervene here to make a larger point as well. I mean, that links into the fact that, like, 
current um, British state's attempts to bring in legislation around like banning protests, direct action, massive sentences and fines and things like that for, you know, there was one example of um, for a, a protest organiser who did not abide by police rules, even if they didn't know about it, would get like X number of years, like, like five years or something in prison. Um, so this is part of both like a broader structure, but it's clear that in trying to um, solidify not only the ongoing relationship like with Israel politically, diplomatically, militarily, you know, for example, Elbit recently, I think last year, made uh, managed to get a hundred on thirty or hundred million pound contract with um, the British Army and things, but also the threat that something like Palestine Action has with the British state is that there are specific parts of this broader anti-protest um, policy which is being, or legislation which is being brought through, which is specifically trying to then get at Palestine action, which I guess is also the importance of the kind of milieu currently of the state of British politics, where there is a massive, you know, kind of re-emergence, I think as Davo was saying earlier, about of um, direct action-centred movements. And that goes from... Palestine action, the arms trade environment, but then also through to the proliferation of uh, anti-police and immigration raids um, and things like that. So it's very much like Palestine action sits within a kind of miscellany of kind of abolitionist, anti-imperialist, anti-racist movements at the moment in Britain, which the state is kind of doing everything it can to try and put like a lid on this like pressure valve of kind of communities of resistance which are starting to develop with a kind of more international anti-racist and internationalist consciousness that you know Britain hasn't seen really since probably like the 80s. And to add on to that as well I think it's obviously a very classic case of sort of techniques um, and means of, of maintaining control and domination being formulated and practiced in colonies or in colonial situations and then being brought back into the metropole um, just sort of like you know um sort of amo cesare says it is this thing of like you know it's means of oppression um you know being then brought back and used on domestic populations but it's always important to try and emphasize that the people you who, who that was used on first were people in colonial situations so you know i think it's important to note that and I, I, my prediction is it would come to resemble this, if not necessarily in the letter of the law, but definitely in spirit, is that, you know, you have the Palestinian prisoners or the Palestinian detainees, the administrative detainees right now, and, you know, political prisoners um, who are being targeted by Israel and indefinitely um, locked up uh, and, you know, having their orders removed constantly. Um, you know, I believe recently they did complete, for example, a boycott of the military courts and um, because they are being sort of tried under military law, um, you know, and they're still sort of struggling. Um, and I think it's important, obviously, you know, whilst we're having our problems with sort of, you know, the risk of imprisonment um, and sort of lengthy sentences and everything um, that probably is reflecting and is the British state learning from what has been done to control you know, Palestinian revolutionaries, um, innocent Palestinian people, you know, it doesn't really matter um, whether they're, you know, they're engaged in resistance or not. 
if they're a Palestinian, most likely a Palestinian man of, you know, military age, they'll be given a, you know, um, a, a detainment order. Um, you know, and there's obviously, you know, there's Palestinian um, sort of detainees as well who are obviously fighting their own struggles and everything. And it's this, yeah, um, yeah, and it, it, it's yeah, that's that's going to be brought back to the metropole more and more and more. Uh, and I think it's important to emphasize, you know, the Palestinian element there. Um, just because, you know, we're linked to British abolition struggles, but, you know, uh, it, it hopefully will also link to international abolitionist struggles as well. I, I wanted to ask with that as well, the extent to which you've observed a sort of collusion between Elbit and the British state, as well as you're pointing out, um, with these laws being advanced rapidly in, you know, you can't necessarily make a, a, a conspiracy out of it and say that this was in the immediate aftermath of these actions being taken. But I, I read in one of the articles that Elbit and the police had signed a rapid response agreement. So there does seem to be a, a kind of very close coordination between uh, the police and the company, which makes sense naturally considering the uh, extent of their interest there and the threat that they're facing. But have you observed that the state is sort of working in tandem with the company? Well, um, I, I, it, I'm trying to think of how to word this um, because it's saying, oh, they're working in tandem. I mean, it's like uh, Elbit like hires ex-police officers, um, you know, so there's there's literally like we've had God, it was we had protests. I can't remember which specific location and which site it was targeting, but we were basically um, targeting a site and we found out that um, someone working on Elbit's behalf, um, who was an ex-police officer, was basically coming into like this village, like WhatsApp chat and basically saying, oh, hey, yeah, those Palestinian action guys, they really can't be trusted. You know, we're going to have like a town hall meeting with, you know, Elbit. And I think, you know, we should hear them out and everything. Uh, and, and you know, luckily that WhatsApp chat eventually at some point after discussing it was like, well, why have you just come in all of a sudden? Who are you working for? You know, and it's this, uh, it, it, yeah, it's a thing like, again, it's, it's it, if you were to ask Elbert that, they were like, oh, well, we, you know, hired the best candidate for whatever role. We're not working with the police, but you have, you know, if, you know, like you said, they sign agreements, but then they also are sharing workforces in the sense, you know, that, that you know, ex-police officers will be coming to work to, for them to, you know, help with this, you know, to help uh, with their security in that matter. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, we, we've, you know, members of Palestine Action have written articles um, calling, or I say, I say members, actually, one of our founders, um, Huda, um, has written an article, very extensive article, calling them out for this, um, mm. with sort of, you know, uh, and so, you know, with screenshots, you know, she really brings the receipts, um, so to speak. But yeah, it, it, it's, it, it, you have to, you have to be careful in how you word it, because it, it can, you know, people be like, oh, you're just talking about conspiracy theories. But it, it's, I don't know, coming from sort of a left wing, you know, even the most sort of basic Marxist understanding of the world is that it's not really out there for the state and private companies you know, multinational corporations to be working together. They've always reinforced each other's power 
and hegemony in, mm. in a variety of different ways. That would be my thing to that if people were saying, oh, you're just conspiracy theorists, you know, you think that Israel is behind everything. It, it's really just a simple fact of, you know, the people in power want to stay in control. They will work um, with, you know, people with the same class interests, with the same imperialist colonial interests in order to maintain that. And it, historically, these institutions have gained their wealth, gained their power, gained their purpose from colonial domination anyway. So it, it, it's very easy for them to do that in the first place. Um, just to add on to that as well, so there's, there's two things I've mentioned, um, what Davil's explained there. So there's one, this is not first in action, um, where they have David Bird, who is a former chief inspector at Staffordshire Police, uh, spent 30 years with Staffordshire Police Force, um, working specifically to on monitoring protests and basically imprisoning activists. His, his focus was specifically against like um, direct action activists and political activists and protests and things, um, working specifically on surveillance and targeting animal rights and environmental protests. Um, and he basically founded the company Blue Swan Risk Management, um, which I think is now was contracted by Elbit Systems. Um, and it says it's now known to have leased out services to multiple Elbit sites in the UK. So you literally have ex-police chiefs, <laughs> chiefs of police in certain areas. So Staffordshire is where you have, um, is it Shenst UAV Shenstone? Um, and you have an ex-chief of police who is now running a pro, you know, who's focused specifically on targeting activists, surveillance and protesters, who makes a private security company and that private security company is now being contracted out by Elbit. So there is, I think it's fair to say, deep collusion in some areas between particular, if not police forces, then individuals that were involved in the police and now private security. And, the, you know, there's a clear, like, kind of going back and forth between the police, private security and Elbert. Um, and then at a level, a kind of high level of the British state, I think it was actually at the end of 2020 when um, the then Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab met with the then Israeli uh, Minister of Strategic Affairs and Palestine Action was, and this was before, you know, lots of the main actions had happened and things right at the, you know, this is only first few actions of, of the first few months. Um, and in the meeting, um, Palestine action was specifically brought up and basically was asked, and Dominic Raab was basically asked or tasked um, with basically shutting us down. Um, and that was from, so from the highest levels of government, there's clear diplomatic relationships going on here. With the British government going, yes, we're gonna we're gonna deal with this. We're gonna deal with Palestine action. So far, clearly, haven't been successful. Um, but it's clear that there's not only an integration, as Davil was saying, between you know, kind of capitalist imperialist company and the police, in which its role is necessarily to protect such companies and protect private property um, for the continuing accumulation of capital and power for the British state and such multinationals but also in terms of its diplomatic and political relationships, the, the British state, as we said, in terms of the attempts to uh, crack down on protests and things here and crack down on the mass and 
kind of social movements and internationalism that's kind of emerging. It's also that there is diplomatic relationships going on with um, with Israel in attempts to specifically target Palestine action because of these relationships. Thanks, and I think that shows to an extent the kind of reaction that is merited by taking this more uh, impactful direct action that actually gets the goods, so to speak. And, and that leads me to a, a kind of going full circle to the beginning of the conversation and thinking about Palestine action in the context of the broader pro-Palestine movement or Palestine solidarity campaigns in general and kind of the spectrum that they exist on to sort of tie this in to another conversation or debate that I saw taking place recently that I think is sort of emblematic, uh, which was the discourse around the mapping project and BDS, and kind of another example of the reaction of the more sort of institutionalized or traditional, uh, maybe you could say mainstream pro-Palestinian activism, reacting to perhaps a new or more confrontational attempt uh, at, at implementing solidarity action in a more critical manner. Uh, I wonder if there have been reactions like that one to some of the campaigns taken by Palestine Action of saying, we, we don't want to take this direct action, it's gonna get people in trouble, it's going, you know, this kind of critique that may come from a more mainstream uh, activist, quote unquote, and how that reveals the perennial contradictions of engaging in solidarity, solidarity work of people who are more established and believe that they're the authorities over how solidarity should be implemented. Well, Davos smiling, I don't know how much I can actually say. <laughs> that so, whatever we do say now, I'll say we'll preface it with there's more, but we can't necessarily say and name. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, we're not really in, in a position to go about popping off, really, um, popping off criticisms, um, you know, whatever we might have. Um, it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm trying to think of how to word it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing of like, uh, we don't want to necessarily be, um, how would you say, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, th I think it's a thing of like, it, it, is it necessarily worth starting anything over it? Um, and it's, it's, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, I think um, some of the experiences which people within Palestine Action and also the Palestine Solidarity Movement in Britain, like were broadly involved in this kind of more direct action or community kind of building kind of community resist, what I'm calling communities of resistance around like these arms factories and things. Um, have the reason they've not come out and said certain things um, or made certain criticisms is essentially because you know we're attacked by the state, we're attacked by Zionists, we're, you know, there's ongoing attempts to repress things like BDS. Um, so you don't want to basically, you know, be seen to be breaking the movement, even though some of these things are starting to come out now anyway. But I guess um, what I'd say in a kind of without naming particular things, um, in a broader sense, I guess a question. It would, I guess it's fair to say that there has been such criticism. And I think this goes back again into what I said before about some of the um, 
institutionalization or NGOization, whatever we want to term it, of some elements of um, BDS, which we can kind of see some of these problems emerging with other kind of anti-racist international movements and things, um, where there is a kind of element of, and again, this goes back to what I was saying about this book, Race to the Bottom, very good book, um, about this kind of institutionalization and co-optation of radical social movements and communities of resistance into the more authenticated and formal kind of social and political structures of the state, such as like political parties and things. And it definitely is like a kind of, can only speak from my perspective, but a kind of over-focus on the attempt to kind of try and gain legitimacy for certain you know, political institutions, political parties, NGOs and charities and that kind of way in a broader kind of human rights framing, like some of the criticisms I was saying at the beginning about the kind of Oslo Accords process and things um, prior to the emergence of the BDS call that have um, attempted to make, attempted and failed so far to kind of make such criticisms of Palestine action in terms of taking it in a more radical way of doing direct action or doing, as I said, like sanctions through direct action. Um, because I think everybody in Palestine Action are all supporters of BDS and would see themselves as fulfilling the demands of BDS, but through direct action more forcefully, rather than through more formal kind of political pressure campaigns. It is filling BDS, which is the attempt to disrupt, destroy and de-link these relationships between British imperialism and Israeli apartheid and secular colonialism with our own hands and with our own bodies. Um, and as I say, it's not been, I think that the criticisms have not gotten far because I think there is a general want within the kind of pro-Palestine movement to do some more radical things. And I think that's also, as I said, within the kind of broader, in the British context, more like kind of, um, deeper kind of fulfillment of more radical aims at the moment and what Dabble touched upon before about the kind of proliferation of more direct action focused and oriented kind of um, praxis rather than the focus in the last kind of like you know five years previously with the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn focuses on focusing on gaining state power through elections or like pressuring kind of local government and stuff. Yeah um, I mean it, it's yeah to, just to touch on what Kieran said I think I think what will happen with the mapping, it, I think it will be a similar situation, if these criticisms do sort of come out, it will be a similar thing to the mapping project where it will be a case of things come to a head. Um, it, it, things will sort of, there, there will be a confrontation or a situation that will um, lead to people sort of voicing these things publicly. Um, I don't necessarily think, yeah, I think like Kieran said, nobody's particularly willing to sort of just um, say it without provocation. I, th I think. I think if people do come out with these criticisms, it will be. It will be with um, what I would assume is just cause. I, th I think. Um, yeah. I think it, it's. I mean, it, I, I'll give a sense of a general attitude um, from at least some sort of. You know, some of, of the BDS movement in Britain. I think there is a, sort of a desire to sort of at least at first i don't know what it is now but there was a desire to pretend that palestine action doesn't exist and we were sort of persona non grata um and that sort of did come to that that eventually actually 
and sort of reached to a point where an article after the Elbit, Elbit shut down its Manchester site, um, where an article was published um, saying, ah, yes, BDS movement's won a great big victory. Elbit has shut down its um, Ferranti Technologies. Um, Ferranti Technologies? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I knew it was Ferranti this time, but um, it was more the technologies part. But um, yeah, so it said, oh, after years of protests and, you know, BDS sort of campaigns, and people had to point out, was like, well, it, a, a significant part of that actually has been the direct action group doing stuff there as well. And yeah, um, that's really all I'm going to gonna say on that. But I think, yeah, there's, there, there's we have encountered sort of uh, just being ignored really um you know it, it, it's not you know if we don't want to discuss these criticisms there's also a sense that there's some, some people don't want to discuss us some people don't want to discuss palestine action uh for whatever reason um i had another point in my head that I was going to say but I've, I've completely forgotten it um, well just also slightly add on as well is that this isn't just that hasn't just been, however, an issue within, say, the kind of broader Palestine movement to ignore Palestine action. I mean, Palestine action was ignored for quite a long time by the kind of mainstream British left as well, like intentionally yeah. trying to... Eventually, they've had to start doing it because Palestine action has kind of burst into the scene so forcefully mm -hmm. and amongst other forms of direct action too. But it took... It was a very, you know... took, like, over 120 people or so being... I mean, some... Uh, left media outlets did cover it but like the kind of big ones the most most known ones that are in around the Labour Party or people that go on say like you know Politics Live or like the BBC and stuff those kind of left ostensibly media outlets um, and there's even some bigger people that I'm not going to name who have still just not said anything about Palestine action. And it's and it's really as well is you know who gets who gets to say what as well you know because there's a lot of stuff that is there's more stuff that's starting to be written about palestine action but the sort of opportunities where sort of you know members or the founders you know um get really an opportunity to speak have you know have have been sort of relatively few you know and it's really only been you know um, I mean that the main I've, the main publication in English that that sort of publishes stuff by us is the New Arab. Um, they're the they're the main publication who who publish articles by um, Hudder, um, who sort of consistently does work. Um, you know, publishing Palestine action stuff um, for them. Um, but there's yeah, it's it's it's. Um, I think I think to an extent there's it, you could argue there's like a valid concern because for a long time direct action was like very much associated with I think some of the more problematic elements of um, extinction rebellion and everything like that um, where you had people you know who from you know uh, it, this is this sorry this is going to sound weird this is like an American based podcast am I correct in in saying that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So for any, so there was a whole like debacle sort of during the initial um, extinction rebellion protests where a bunch of people had their train blocked by protesters. Um, and there had been one done before already, which was done in Canary Wharf train station. Canary Wharf is like the financial center of uh, London. Um, 
and people were like fine with that because you know who the fuck cares about bankers getting to and from work you know fuck them um but like if it's just ordinary people people you know in as well it's like and you can see it like people almost kick those guys heads in like they literally almost like you know those guys almost could have been killed you know because people were that angry um you know and you're by like a train station as well it's not great um it, it, it but yeah and but but, the, but on the the, the the thing is though that might have been a valid concern at one point it's not so much anymore because you know to extinction rebellions credit um you know and other climate protests and everything they've definitely sort of seen what palestine of action have done and gone ah okay we we you know get what needs to be done now and who we need to target and you see that a lot more now so for example um you know you you uh, have like just stop oil um I believe who who have done some really, you know, um, attention catching sort of direct action um, all over the country. Um, you know, uh, God, what was the? Um, uh, this is going to sound really bad. Uh, the people on the roads. Who were the people on the roads? I forget. Um, insulate Britain. Insulate Britain. Um, I mean, they they sort of pissed off a lot of people by blocking roads, but they also did bring attention. To the fact that insulation would be um sorely needed in britain you know they they and it, it's yeah um it, it's um but yeah that's the thing now is direct action has changed with palestine action and and you know um you know like we, we collaborated with extinction rebellion youth in britain so they like that's the thing now is like a, at some point you can be like mm, direct action it's not that revolutionary it's just you know about getting attention really it's just a spectacle but that's there's there's less and less of an argument for that now so it remains to be seen whether the mainstream british left you know um it, it sort of yeah um it, it talks about it and i think just talking touching on that um it, i think that's symptomatic of the way the british left talks about palestine in general because you very rarely see them talk about you know um palestinian resistance um, you know, and a lot of the resistance groups and the political parties over there, um, because there's a worry that, you know, if you say, well, you know, the, you know, if you, not necessarily, well, uh, to be fair, a lot of those groups are prescribed, um, so you can actually get in quite a lot of trouble if you were to out and out be like, oh, I support this group, or, you know, I support this party, but, it, it, you know, and that's understandable, Um you know, I think there was like a whole thing where a guy wore like a T-shirt for, was it a Palestinian organisation or was it? Um, I'm pretty sure it was like, it, it was Hamas or something. Or yeah, Hamas. it was either Hamas or, or I think it might have been the Palestinian like Islamic Jihad or something like that. And it was just a T-shirt um, and he got like, he got at least several years for that, I think. It was really bad. It was really, it's like, um, yeah, uh, it, 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 it's not great. And um you know and i think i think he was um was he muslim i can't remember um yeah i can't i can't remember he, he was he wasn't white british no. i think no, he, he wasn't was... white british i think he might as well um okay i actually know what i'm i'm, I'm gonna I, this is gonna turn into speculation sorry um i was i was trying to i, I can't remember the details so but yeah he he got he got fairly harsh punishment for that so i understand why he he, he can't necessarily 
openly support the resistance, but I do think there's a thing where they won't even talk about it and they won't talk about the fact that that's going on because that's seen as a more problematic element of, of the whole Palestinian cause. But, the, you know, these are their, like, elected officials, you know, and everything. These are their, their, their government in certain, you know, in certain parts and areas, um, you know, and I think that then sort of trickles down to, like, Palestine action where... And the sort of immediate reaction is to just sort of go, okay, we're not going to talk about them. And I think, I think, you know, the British left needs to change a lot of that. I, I, we say the British left, but it's a lot of institutions and, and organizations. Like if you talk to people at a grassroots level, people are much more open to it. And people are, like have come out and supported Palestine action. Communities have come out, supported Palestine action. You know, I've got a lot of comrades who really support the work we do. And everything so at a grassroots level it's it's different when we when we say the british left we don't mean like every single person it is sort of the established institutions um and it's yeah um i don't think yeah uh yeah that's that's all i have to say on that i've, I've run out of steam now <laughs> well i just had one like kind of last thought from all of that which is to say that i think all of all of the kind of reaction to that question and that discussion reflects a lot of the continual problems with a lot of left-wing work, solidarity work, and that, you know, that that's many different things, like the the question of like money and media within this the sphere of activism. So kind of how that can change people's incentives and modify uh, the extent to which someone would go depending on you know, how much recognition they want to get or their salary, that all that sort of thing. And then, you know, other questions, like as you were just mentioning, the nature of direct action and the critique that can be made about, you know, whatever, like kind of a more adventuristic implication of that, like you're not doing it just for the sole purpose of it, you're doing it for some kind of uh, desire of infamy, that all, all that sort of stuff. So I, I think it's fascinating to see how these debates continue to pop up all the time um, in in all different spheres of of activism, and especially with the the commentary on the left in general, uh, I'm interested because I think in coming at this from a you know specifically left wing or communist political orientation brings in like you know certain questions about in many things with respect to solidarity work, uh, especially for an for an anti-colonial struggle, it, it raised a lot of questions, but it's fascinating that you mentioned the, the problem of trying to engage with the institutional left versus a more kind of like non-institutional or uh, alternative left, you know, whatever you want to call it. But the fact of what we are interested in and like my comrades who sort of organize with this and trying to learn in all different spheres of like what place anti-imperialism has in the left today or where it's heading. So that's where maybe could kind of end it or, or speculate on that. Like, how do you see Palestine action as potentially having made a, uh, an interjection on not only the, the pro-Palestinian solidarity movement, but also the left in general of saying, there's a need to revitalize internationalism, anti-imperialism on a direct, action basis, not just the kind of intellectual or academic anti-imperialism, but a real putting that that into praxis of, of organizing and, and, and activating that. And do you see in, in the future, like 
that I guess that's kind of the million dollar question of like whether these these tactics can become popular within the left or within pro Palestine movement, um, and how to turn because you know in in listening and observing all of this, it's quite clear that anyone could conclude from this that this is what obtains progress or this is what obtains results. But then the question is how to convince more people to engage in this kind of work, and then that's that's quite a tricky dilemma. So. Yeah, I'm just curious about that. It's obviously a difficult thing. Well, if we, if we manage to answer that, then we've answered my PhD. So hopefully we've got some answers. Do you want to jump in, David? Yeah, I mean, I'm always sort of someone to argue for plurality of tactics. Um, I, 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 you know, I think one thing that has been good working in Palestine Action is we very much don't present ourselves as the solution. Um, a lot of our politics, you know, um, are, it, it, it is centered around, um, you know, uh, helping people, you know, it, um, I'm trying to think it, it, if we, if more people do this, it's because, you know, they've gained the understanding that they have the power in their hands to intervene in a political situation, that they have the, the capacity and the power, you know, to work with each other, to show solidarity with each other and, and change that. I think it, it's very much, you know, that's why we're, we're not necessarily, we're not an organization, we're a direct action network, anybody can join. And as long as sort of they, you know, they, they match our principles, you know, they, they, you know, they conduct themselves fine. It's, um, you know, they, they can, you know, take part as well. Uh, and I'm trying to, I'm sort of, <laughs> I'm trying to think about the word yeah and and you know and i think we're, we have enough humility to admit you know there's other stuff you can do as well um what we're advocating is that this be an important part of all the things that we do to try and overthrow imperialism to overthrow you know settler colonialism um it, it's it, you know it's not going to be the main thing um it, it's you know it's going to be one of the things that that people um are going to use um to you know uh you know change the situation where they live and you know um i'm going to be realistic here and sort of um you know demand the impossible you know hopefully the world you know that that that's the thing and it's um and coming from that sort of you know perspective of plurality it, it it's you know it means hopefully there's less of this attitude of oh one person or one group has a solution and everybody else has to get underneath that and everybody has to follow that it's a case of you know um we're all trying different things and we're all experimenting with things you know in order to see what works and you know and we respect others enough to allow them to do that like kieran said you know we might have criticisms that we're not gonna um voice here of, of you know mainstream bds institutions um but that isn't to say that they don't work you know or the tactics don't work Know, that bds is is sort of a sinking ship or anything like that it's just that we're trying to fulfill it in a different way and that you know it, it can't just be the strategies that are being done right now there needs to be new new ways of of, of intervening politically yeah no i think yeah i completely agree and i think if we're going to say have some criticisms of the kind of i don't know parts of the institutionalized left culture now is that um, I think there is a, um, what's the right word? 
basically a refusal to, I think, engage in such a practice of um, that kind of constellation of different movements and different yeah. practices, which can lead towards a kind of like the same goal, the same end, right? Or yeah. More. And it, 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 it's not just us, um, you know, it, it's a lot of different struggles, you know, um, like queer people, you know, the LGBT plus community um, recently, you know, um, well, this is this is all internet discourse thing, but like, you know, we've seen stuff where, you know, those comrades have, have not really felt acknowledged by, you know, sort of sort of mainstream like trade unionists and everything like that, um, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we have, you know, sex workers are consistently sort of ignored and shat on and spoken for um, by a lot of people in our movement, you know, and, and it, it's, you know, we've got, we even had the, uh, yeah, fuck it. I'm oh, yeah, literally, we literally, we, we had, we literally had like one guy um, agree with the British state, like banning strip clubs over listening to sex workers. And this guy is like, oh, I'm like an out and out socialist. And it's like, and it's not even like, it's not even like that, that it's like a socialist council, which is still, you know, it, wrong to, to, to support them over workers. It was like, it's like, you know, uh, what is it? What, uh, what is it? What even is the council for? Is it, it's council for Bristol, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, uh, just some random guy, not some random guy, um, Ways are so random, but it's also the fact that that's the position of like the main yeah. groups there and the main yeah. organising groups there also all agree with him. That's the point. Yeah, he, 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 he this particular example, we're not going to name names here, um, might state it in a particularly openly reactionary and sort of not well thought out way. But there's a lot of sort of socialists in the British left who do think their, you know, ignorance in regards to sex workers' rights and sex workers' struggles are well informed and are you know backed up by marxism and everything um you know uh and it, it's just like it, it, it applies to a lot of different struggles it, it, it's which is the sad thing um you know it, I, in a way it would be nice to say oh it's just you know palestine action is sort of new and we're having trouble you know getting that recognition but it, 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 it you know um there's a lot of different struggles that just don't get the credit they deserve and there's a lot of people in them who i know and I've listened to talks by, into workshops by, um, who really, who really should be leading the left in Britain, who are just some amazing people, especially sort of, you know, um, sort of queer people, women, sex workers, you know, um, people from the sort of GRT, you know, Roma communities, um, you know, black communities, it, it, you know, I met, you know, people from all of those, you know, communities and groups um, who should be leading the left, you know, just incredibly intelligent and passionate revolutionaries. Um, and they're, they're, they literally just exist on the sidelines um, yeah. because the people who get the say are sort of the big institutions, the, the older trade unions, um, white, you know, I know we're saying, we, you know, it's, we're two like white men here, but I think it, it's, from us what we do in this group is you know um we're very much not leaders and we, we, we feel very comfortable being part of a movement where we are not the leaders and we are doing our small part you know so if anyone listening you know where you know we, we me and kieran do our bit you know in palestine action 
but we are not the leaders and we, we are not like the heavyweights in that. And we don't want to be, you know, and, and we're not doing this. So, you know, in 50, 10, 15 years time, we can be the leaders of the Palestine solidarity movement in Britain. You know, we're doing our part to sort of contribute to a revolutionary movement, you know, and, and yeah, um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, 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 polar, per, I should have done sort of vocal exercise before this. It's plurality of tactics, and it really should be plurality of people as well, um, to be quite honest. Um, and that's that's been something I've definitely encountered in Palestine action, um, but it's something that should be, you know, definitely part of the British left, um, in my opinion, because it, it's, you know, there's people who who should be leading it, um, you know, uh, uh, it, it, you know, and leading it in sort of an equitable way. Um, but they're not good. They're not gonna because our fucking left wing movement is, you know, clapped. Um, yeah, and it's it's you know it's a shame. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a real effort. I think it's gonna be a real effort for a lot of groups to 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 put it bluntly, not end up as a footnote or an interesting chapter in a book that people will come back to in twenty years' time and be like, oh wow, these guys had some really, you know good points why didn't anybody listen to them and it's 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 you know how do we make that clear to everyone else you know sorry that's uh, that's like a little tangent you, you, i sort of got set off on um but you know and i imagine you know it, it's probably happening on the american left as as well you know and that that's a shame as well and it's um yeah uh the, um, you know. sorry i was gonna say to be um a total nerd um and do what I usually do as a cliche, which is read from a book. Um, I think there's an essay by the late famous anti-racist theorist, um, Sivanandan, who's head of the Institute of Race Relations. And in an essay where he was essentially talking about some of the, and I think this goes to Davil's point about, it seems like these debates are new, that he's, you know, this essay, I think it's from like the eighties, maybe early nineties, where he's talking about some of the same things that are happening some of the same debate same conversation this was around the, the kind of rise of the um of the kind of new labor party and things um but i think it has massive relevance today in terms of what you was kind of asking joseph going back to your question about the kind of like where do we go from and kind of alluding to davil's point this as well where do we go from a kind of like direct action movement to something which maybe proliferates more into the left and a kind of broader internationalist consciousness on this stuff right moving from direct action against Elbit to something larger. And I think there's there's parts just from, if I may, um, on from the end of this essay, The Hope and the New Times, where I think it really speaks to not only that, those questions and those generative possibilities of something like Palestine election, but also, as Devil said, all these constellations of these people who, you know, far better, you know, organizers, trade unionists on a grassroots level, like anti-racist, like, queer, trans, like sex worker activists who are way smarter and better than what we're doing, right? But like, I think this 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 speaks to this. So um, Sivan Anzen says, so speaking of uh, at this point, the kind of like radical, like black and kind of in this way, black kind of like South Asian, Kurdish, Palestinian and everything else, kind of anti-racist and migrant kind of working class struggles. And he says, all these activities may constitute a miscellany of movements, a, a plethora of collective comings and goings outside mainstream party politics. 
then goes on as describing the kind of function of these. And I thought this one kind of spoke to Palestine action specifically, if not these other movements as well, the kind of recent like kill the bill and anti-raise activism where he says, what these movements throw up by their very nature are not diverse cultural politics, but a multifaceted political culture, which finds authority in practice, tests theory in outcome, and works towards a wider political movement commensurate with our times, but unrelenting still of its struggle against capital. And the last section I'll read from is to this kind of broader, I guess, internationalist consciousness, which we're speaking to, that such a miscellany of movements can produce this diversity, constellation of movements and tactics and people and collectives. It's where he says, this means that to come to consciousness of one's own individual oppression is to open one's sensibilities out to the oppression of others, the exploitation of others, the injustices and inequalities and unfreedoms meted out to others, and to act upon them making an individual slash local case into an issue, turning issues into causes and causes into movements and building in the process a new political culture, new communities of resistance that will take on power and capital and class. And I think that, and I imagine Davil would probably agree, that's where I see Palestine Action's forcefulness, both for Palestine and its generative possibilities for decolonization globally and anti-imperialism, anti-capitalism globally and socialism, but specifically Palestine Action's role currently in kind of like building a new political culture in Britain that I think moves away from kind of the, some of the stunted forms which of um, kind of socialism uh, and anti-imperialism in Britain, which, I, which refuse to kind of look at really what's being generated here and really what's happening. Yeah, thank you so much for that quote. That, that's actually a fantastic way of of concluding and leaving with the kind of aftermath and, and thinking about, you know, what this can look like. Is it's a question that as as you both pointed out, I think everybody has to kind of struggle with at some point and and has to kind of decide in order to figure out where the left is gonna go, where solidarity campaigns are gonna go, especially if as I think and I think as, as generally um, people should believe on an internationalist and anti-imperialist basis as in an anti-colonial or decolonial one, as you mentioned as well, basis that will be kind of a deciding factor in, in struggles going forward. So thank you both so much for these reflections. I think this was very insightful as to the kind of dilemmas going on, but also with Palestine action, a possible image of, of what a solution can look like in potentially just deciding on, as you pointed out, Kieran, just deciding on, on this, not necessarily as the model that everybody has to follow, but as just one in, in sort of a miscellany of potential models for the future. So yeah, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for inviting us on. It's been great. Great no, discussion. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Thank you for having awesome. us on. Thanks. Take care.